This is an OSV Podcast Network production. To learn more, visit osvpodcasts.com. This is Like a Mother with Katie McGrady, the podcast that brings you honest conversations about motherhood, the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs, the realities, the joys, the struggles, the pains, the moments where we think I can't do this, and the moments where we rejoice that we are doing it, and everything in between. I'm your host, Katie McGrady. We are so happy you're here. I think sometimes we uh, we like wake up with our kids, you know, say it's a Tuesday morning, and their particular quirks are just on full display. You know, and someday Rose will probably listen to this podcast episode and think, I can't believe my mom just told thousands of people this. But like my kid's biggest like sensory quirk is that if the seam on her sock is like underneath her toes, she just goes nuts and we have to fix her socks. To be quite honest, I'm the same way. If my socks are not exactly as they should be, or if my sheets are kind of a mess before I get into bed, or heck, if my if my sticky notes are out of order on my desk with my to-do lists for the day, we all have our quirks. We all have our unique particularities. When my husband and I were dating, and I, I think you started to quickly see how particular I was about certain things, he nicknamed me Persnickety Katie, which I got very upset about until I realized he was just joking. You know, and my kids are persnickety. Heck, he's persnickety. We all are. At the end of the day, we all have those specific little things that make us tick, those unique qualities about ourselves that are lovable, that are delightful, but at times can kind of drive us all a little bit crazy. And I think part of, of motherhood, part of parenting in general, but especially part of motherhood, is kind of navigating those particularities, navigating those quirks, navigating that uniqueness. And here's the challenge, loving our kids in that. You know, what's the big thing that they often say in marriage? You shouldn't go into marriage trying to change your spouse. If, if you don't like who they are, you shouldn't be marrying them. And like, yes, there's a, there's a difference, a massive difference between improving and growing in virtue and just changing a person whole cloth and finding that balance between those two things within your marriage is hugely significant. I think the same concept, the same idea can be applied to parenting. Right? The Lord gives us the child in the specific and unique particular way that they are. And we as moms get to journey with that child in discovering who they are, what they're like, what they do like, what they don't like, the unique qualities of this child entrusted to us that's a part of us, that we grew, that that we birthed, that we're raising, that we're loving in all the different ways that we do as moms that part of the, the joy of motherhood, part of the excitement of motherhood, and of course, part of the challenge of motherhood is navigating that uniqueness, navigating those particularities and doing it with patience, doing it with a measure of joy, doing it understanding that we're helping form them into the person that they will be. And that is a massive responsibility and a great challenge, but an incredible privilege. I have this this very, very vivid memory. I was seven years old and I had the flu. And a seven-year-old with the flu, excuse me, six years old, seven comes into a factor in just a second, six years old, and I had the flu. And it was like the early, early springtime. And I, I, you know, I had this springtime flu and my mom owns her own CPA firm and she, she works, you know, very hard. 
uh, in a lot of different ways. And, and so springtime is, uh, is tax season. And so I get the flu and I have to stay home from school like three straight days. And so my mom has to bring all this work home. And this is the 90s. So this is not, uh, you know, work from home, just turn on the Internet and, you know, you've got everything that you need. You know, it was kind of a big deal for my mom to move her CPA office to the dining room table for these three or four days that I was home from school with the flu. And I remember like on day two, we'd gone to the doctor's office and I'd gotten the flu test and it had come back positive. We went to the library. And she, you know, bundled me up and we walked into the library to pick out VHS tapes so that I could watch just endless amounts of shows while she was trying to work from the dining room table. Oh, how easy it now is to just take a sick day with your kids in 2023 and hand them the remote control and say, just stay on Disney Plus and watch Bluey for the next six hours while mommy tries to get her job done. And I got this giant stack, like six or seven VHS tapes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and brought them home and popped the VHSs into the VCR player. If you have children in the car listening to this story, they're about to ask you, what's a VHS and what's a VCR? And I watched episode after episode after episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And we arrived at an episode. You remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, right? Where he would you know, you'd go to the land of make-believe and he'd feed the fish and he'd tell you how awesome and wonderful and, and how much he loved you and he likes you just the way you are. And then he kind of goes in an adventure where he discovers something, he learns something. And so he went to a violin shop. He went to a place where they made violins and he was having this just, as Mr. Rogers does, riveting conversation with this guy who fashions violins. And I, sick as a dog, hanging out in my dad's blue Lazy Boy armchair, which still sits in the house to this day, the sick chair, the most comfortable piece of furniture I've ever sat in and I hope to inherit someday. I'm sitting in the blue sick chair watching this Mr. Rogers interview with this guy who makes violins and I sat up straight and I leaned forward and I was just utterly captivated. I wanted to play the violin. I hadn't even heard what a violin sounded like. I was just watching this guy talk about making them and was captivated. I climbed out of the chair. I walked into my mom's bedroom, where I think she was probably taking a much-needed break from the Mr. Rogers playing nonstop on the TV and all of the work that she was trying to do for the end of tax season. And I said, Mom, I think I want to play the violin. She kind of looked at me like, what? I said, I think I want to play the violin. She said, where is this coming from? And I told her about the video, and we walked back in there, and she watched a few minutes with me, and she said, okay. When I turned seven... Just a few months later, my seventh birthday party was at Skate City here in Lake Charles, Louisiana. A friend of mine actually pushed me down and I busted my chin open, Emily Gaines. Not that I'm holding a, a grudge or anything. But my parents gave me a violin for my seventh birthday. I couldn't play it for a couple of weeks <laughs> because that girl had pushed me down and busted my chin open. But that's neither here nor there. I didn't let her ride in the big skate with me and, you know, she got upset about it. Anyway, I, di I digress, as usual. My parents gave me the violin. I had said, like, this is something I'm interested in. And my parents, they honored that interest. And that, like, transformed my life. It was a key moment in my childhood that I said, I want to do this thing. And my parents didn't, like, roll their eyes and say, oh, you'll grow out of that. They, they didn't say, oh, that's too expensive. Like, they looked at me and they recognized I had this interest. And so they honored it. And I think that's a huge part of motherhood. How do we honor the interests of our kids? How do we love them? in their unique particularities, whether it's the seam of the sock or this love of a video game or, you know, they've got this, this brain that, that fixates on one particular topic. 
And whether they're neurotypical, whether they're neurodivergent, whether there's some fun amalgam of the two, it's probably not the right way to put it, but our kids are who they are and we get to help them become who they are and love them in a particular way. And I wanted to have a conversation about all of that and a whole lot more with my good friend, Haley Stewart. I know I say good friend a lot, but Haley is legitimately a good friend. Uh, she's been to my house. I've been to hers. We've grown closer over the years. We we both work in writing. Haley works for the awesome folks at Word on Fire in their children's publishing division. And she's just got a, a keen sense. I've watched her parent her kids. I've met her kids and I've watched her mother them. She just has this unique ability to love them in their uniqueness. And I wanted to kind of pick her brain about that. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation because I, I certainly enjoyed having it with Haley Stewart about mothering our kids who are unique. Haley Stewart, welcome to Like a Mother. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I have to say, I used to think your name was Haley Carrots because of your Twitter uh, for so many years and your blog. Uh, and we're real life friends. I feel like I always have to say that at the, the top of episodes with people I know and have spent time with. Uh, Haley, tell us about yourself, where you are, what you do, and uh, kind of who you are as a mom. Sure. So I have four kids, ages four to almost 14. We live in Tallahassee, Florida. I'm married to my high school sweetheart who distills whiskey for a living. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm the managing editor of Word on Fire Spark, which is Word on Fire Publishing's new children's imprint, which is a dream job, which I yeah. love so much. And then I also write my own books and do some speaking on the side. I you have such a y'all are cool people like Tommy and I frequently are like they're just I think of all of the people that we've met over the years from a variety of different places and spaces you guys are the neatest like the word neat defines the Stewart family how did all of these neat endeavors kind of come your way you worked for them some of them happily kind of fell into your lap tell us a little bit of you and Daniel's story I know there's a farm without running water involved somehow tell us that story <laughs> Oh, goodness. I don't even know where to begin. So I'll just try to hit the high points real quick so it doesn't take up the whole episode. So um, <laughs> Daniel and I were high school sweethearts. I went to Baylor University in Waco, Texas. He followed me out there. We got married halfway through college. So I was finishing up my I had just finished up my sophomore year. So we were babies when we got married. <laughs> and then um, right after I graduated, I started working at Baylor. We got pregnant with our oldest, which was a surprise. <laughs> um, and about the same time, we were becoming very interested in Catholicism. And after our son was born, we were like, oh gosh, we got to get this baby baptized. <laughs> like we're there, we're there intellectually. And now we have to make this happen because there's this little person mm -hmm. who needs the sacrament. So that was kind of what pushed us across the Tiber. And, um, then we had a bunch more kids. We kind of got in a like a rut back in in Florida. Um, just my husband wasn't loving his job. We just felt like we weren't on the right path. And so we just dropped everything, sold our house, moved to Texas to a farm to learn about sustainable agriculture and lived in a little tiny 650 square apartment for a year with no flushing toilets. We did have running <laughs> water. We just didn't have flushing toilets. And that kind of helped us reset and, and really like have the space to reflect on 
where we, what direction we wanted our life to go in, our family mm-hmm. life and our, our work life. And that's when I started doing more writing and more creative pursuits. And so I started writing books, podcasting, Daniel got into distilling. Um, and then over time, I got connected with Word on Fire and then started working full-time for them one year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's just been, we recently moved back to our hometown to be closer to family. So had some big transitions this year and also transitioned from homeschooling, which we did for 12 years to Catholic school. So that was another big shift for us over the past year and a half or so. I want to, I want to ask a question about, you said you, you felt like you were in a rut. Uh, and I feel like a lot of people feel that at different phases of life. How did y'all decide and discern, okay, we're just like, we're bored versus no, this is like, we need to make a substantial change. Cause I feel like sometimes like if I felt like I'm in a rut, I'm just like, I just need to drink more water and take a nap. Like there's different types of ruts and then there's, you're in the ditch and you are being buried. And like, if you don't get out of this, you're going to drown. How did y'all figure out, okay, this needs to be something more substantial than just we put date night on the calendar on a regular basis? Yeah, that's a great question. I think part of it is don't do anything rashly. Like (laughs) give yourself the time to to discern, to pray and to think through um, and, and to have the space to talk to your spouse, like have those good deep Mm -hmm. conversations where that you can't have when your children are talking to you, you know, you like actually need to get out of your usual surroundings, you know, Mm -hmm. to go on like a long Mm -hmm. walk or get away for a night or, you know, whatever is working in your stage of life. Um, I think that's really important to have those deep conversations about like, Mm -hmm. what do we, like, what would we love our life to look like? And allow yourself to kind of let your imagination run wild Um, and kind of get beyond maybe the limitations that are just in your head. Maybe they're very real and you can hash that out too, but maybe it's just you've decided this is the way that it has to be, but it doesn't. Yeah. And so I think those are some things, definitely um, time in prayer and then seeing what the Holy Spirit does with those desires and those like passions that you have that you want to be fulfilled because I think sometimes it's not the right time and you have Mm -hmm. to be willing to hear that that maybe it is the time to as you said like drink more water like what are the things you can do (laughs) in the space that you're in what do you have control over and then be ready to make a change when the Holy Spirit moves so for us like that decision to leave everything and go live on a farm that was a process of months and months Mm -hmm. and months of discernment and kind of realizing we didn't like where we were, where would we like to go? What would that look like? And then the opportunity arises and we were ready. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of times we get stuck feeling like, oh, well, what if it doesn't work out? Mm. What if this, you know, we do this thing that's a little bit different or a little bit crazy and it doesn't work out and then we look stupid or it doesn't work out and we wish we hadn't done it. And I think it's important you want to consider those things. Like what are the consequences of this not working out? Are we putting our life savings into something or, you know, it's this big or small risk, but also thinking about if we're not happy where our family life or, you know, our work life or whatever it is right now, why not 
try to do something different. Mm-hmm. In worst case scenario, we also don't like this other thing. Right. We're still but unhappy. Best, yeah, <laughs> right. But best case scenario, hey, this is like really great for our family. Yeah. And so I think it's important to let your mind kind of wander into imagining what could be awesome instead of just where my mind often likes to hang out, what might be terrible or catastrophic. Mm, I love that. Like what, what could be awesome? It's a very, uh, you're a dreamer. I would not categorize myself as a dreamer. I would categorize myself as a planner. I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive at, at all. Um, I actually think planners who dream are happy and dreamers who plan are happier, right? Like I, like I envy that openness because I, I think that sometimes in motherhood, there's that worst case scenario. Oh my gosh. Like if I'm making this change, what if they're unhappy? Or what if we don't have enough money to pay the bills this month? Or what if they are miserable at that school? Or what if they love the school more than they loved being homeschooled? And so then I feel like a failure because I dumped so much time and energy and money into this. How do you navigate, especially with Daniel, especially with four kids, ranging in age, like how do you navigate the dreaming and the planning component of your life to find that happy balance? Because I think you have, and I admire it a ton. Yeah, I think... I think it's really important to separate our identity as mothers from the way we've structured certain things in motherhood or family Mm -hmm. life. So things like homeschooling for a long time, when we realized at least one of our children needed a change from that to thrive. What if we'd been so stuck in our identity as, well, we're just a homeschooling family. This is who we are. This is what we put all this time and energy into and made all these sacrifices to do. And what if we let that be so much a part of our decision making that then our child who really needed something different suffered? Mm-hmm. I think I think that's something to, really important to keep in mind is what am I holding on to? And like attached to is my identity that isn't necessarily something I need to be attached to. Um, because I think that's so easy. It's just so easy to do. We all have a tendency to do that. And so I think when we let go of that, there's so much more openness for, well, what could be, what mm-hmm. could be different? Um, how can we structure things differently? There's yeah. always that opportunity for change. And I think also another thing to keep in mind is that any decision you make, you can then make a different decision if you it can change work. your mind. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So for instance, you know, going from homeschooling to Catholic school, if it hadn't worked out, we could have pulled the kids out and gone back to homeschooling. Yeah. And so just kind of remembering that what are the stakes here? What mm-hmm. are the risks? Sometimes we kind of make them seem bigger than they actually are. So, so keeping all those things in mind, I think that for me, motherhood has been such a journey in um, (laughs) seeing myself fail over and over again, especially (laughs) when I get stuck in these different identities, because Mm -hmm. like God is calling me out of that and showing me that my kids need something different. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, um, it's been such an incredibly like, just so much growth in my spiritual life as I've been completely unable to control all the things that I want to control. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Haley Stewart. I know I enjoyed having it with her. I wanted to take a moment and tell you about our sponsor for today's episode, the National Council of Catholic Women. 
It's a 102-year-old national organization. They have local councils in you know, regional areas that enable Catholic women to come together at the grassroots level with all these awesome resources that provide all of the members of the NCCW uh, the tools that they would need to have support and to feel empowered and to feel educated with spirituality and with leadership and with service. It's an amazing organization. Check out more at nccw.org. All right, back to our conversation with Haley Stewart. Well, I love that you said, like, if we're holding on to this identity, I'm the homeschool mom. I'm the podcasting mom. I'm the writing books mom. I'm the blogger mom. I feel like mommy blogs were the the identity for a while that you had to have. And so when you give that up, you walk away from that, you change whatever the pivot. You then don't know who you are anymore. But by holding on to it, you're actually hindering what you Mm -hmm. could possibly be. And so there's this delicate balance of obviously those things are valuable. And that's a component of, of my identity. But eventually those kids aren't going to be homeschooled anymore. They're going to they're going to graduate and move on. And like, wh- where is your identity wrapped up in? Or maybe that show's going to end at some point. Like, wh- what are you now holding on to? And hopefully it's clinging to something more eternal than just those externals of what you're doing. How did you find that that affected your kids? Because I think that sets up kids to be good people, like good humans, to watch their parents be adaptable. We, we, I feel like we're constantly telling Rose, you need to be more flexible. You need to be more flexible because we tend to be pretty rigid people. And so when plans do change or when we have to shift or things don't necessarily work out the way we wanted the expectations told us they were going to, we have a disappointed kid. And so I'm like, how do I make her more flexible? And I think I need to be more flexible to set that example. How did you see that affecting your four? Yeah, I mean, I think that what we model for our kids is always really helpful to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for like my journey definitely went from being much more insecure in my parenting Mm. and therefore being a lot more rigid and like wanting there to be a certain way that was right. Mm -hmm. And I think I listened to some voices that were very like, this is the way you do it. Yeah. And then that did not work at all with my children, partly because there were there was some neurodivergence that we didn't realize. But I did know, okay, this thing that's supposed to work for quote unquote, every kid, you're just <laughs> supposed to do this and then they'll do whatever. That is not happening. Like yeah. this is not working. This is not a fit. And so I think that that it's both like completely crushing because you're like, I have no control. I don't know what I'm doing. Nothing's working, but also really freeing to realize, Hey, like God put this family together Mm. and like God chose me to be the mom to these children. And so we're like all the ways that we're wired, all the weird ways that we're each wired in this family there was a purpose here. Like there was a reason that we were all brought together. And as a parent, it's my job to kind of figure out how, how does this all work? How can, Mm -hmm. how can I help all of us to thrive as a parent and what, what's kind of the vibe of, of our, our family life and, and my motherhood and realizing that it's okay if it doesn't look quite the same as someone else's. And I think that as a very young mom, having so many insecurities, you know, I come from a really small family. I just have one older brother. I had, you know, 
no experience raising four children or what that looks like to be in a bigger family. And so having all those insecurities, you really want to have things to cling to as like, well, Mm -hmm. this is how you do it. And then when all of that gets kind of dashed to the rocks, it's both horrifying and exciting because you realize, oh, well, now I'm like entering this unknown, Mm -hmm. but maybe I'm going to find how everything actually does gel, like what's going to work with different kids. And so I think that if I have any regrets, it's not like diving into that unknown earlier Mm -hmm. in my motherhood and being willing to um, have a lot more room for like the, what if this child needs this rather than that? Um, And I think that, yeah, that's probably like what I would want to change if I could go back, giving myself like the grace to not get in those boxes. Yeah. There's a lot of freedom in recognizing that I cannot just do it the way everybody else did it. Like I can actively choose to do it our way. And even if our way might bring criticism from outside voices that have no right to criticize or might not look exactly the way the family down the street or the family I'm watching on Instagram do it, that is, it's okay. Like I, at the end of the day, my kids are affected by what we're doing and not necessarily those outside voices. Now I might be affected by those outside voices and that might trickle down to them in some trickle down economic kind of way. But that's where that discernment of listening, I think has to come in, right? The I'm, I'm going to choose to actively unfollow or I'm going to choose to turn off or I'm, I'm going to choose to say like, you know what, that works for you and I'm happy. And this is what works for us. I mean, you caught a little, I felt like you were, you were on the defense for a while in your Instagram when you shared that y'all were sending your kids to traditional school, if we're going to put labels on things, um, we actually got to see you right around the time. Uh, and I, you know, it's just like, how are you doing? Like, how are you feel like you have to over explain things? You feel like you have to give people a peek. Do you ever find, especially being very public in a lot of different ways and your job is one where you, you doula these books into the world, you're a midwife, midwife, not doula, <laughs> midwife, these books into the world. And so there's a, there's a, a measure of public facing motherhood that even if a person doesn't have an Instagram following or a Substack or has written books, I think we all kind of feel like we live that motherhood outwardly at times. How do you discern that internal part of it? That at the end of the day, what what they're going to remember and what matters most is what's happening inside of her home, not what I'm sharing online. Or how do you how do you discern what you do share publicly and what you play close to the chest? Like what what does that look like for you and Daniel? Yeah, definitely over time I share less and less and less. And I think part of that is just, it's very different to share about babies and to share about teenagers. <laughs> I just, yeah. I don't do a lot of sharing about teenagers. Um, and, and part of it, um, I think that there's this shift that I am really grateful for that I don't, I feel responsible to God for my, like my motherhood. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I need to impress other people or have these like a certain like my children are so well behaved and everybody has to has to see that like I'm doing a good job. Mm-hmm. I think that part of that is having neurodivergent kids just behaviors are very different um different than I anticipated and having some neurotypical kids and some neurodivergent kids I see um, oh, like 
maybe that family's children are all sitting really nicely in mass because none of them have ADHD or <laughs> autism, you know? So it's, it's just interesting, I guess, having a lot of my um, expectations shift. Mm-hmm. I don't feel the need to present a certain way. Yeah that I feel like I did as a young, mm-hmm. more insecure mom. Yeah, yeah. And I think part of it is seeing like the fruit of my children's growth and just seeing them thrive and seeing, okay, like the, the way the Holy Spirit was guiding me to parent this child, that is bearing beautiful fruit. And I'm just mm-hmm. so grateful that the Holy Spirit moved me in that direction. And it didn't have anything to do with anyone else. You know, yeah. it's nobody else's business. It's yeah. it doesn't have anything to do with responsibilities to anyone else. Um and it doesn't really ultimately matter if other people think mm-hmm. I was doing the right thing or if I was doing a good job. Yeah. Um and so I think that that that's been a shift for me mm-hmm. and I think so much of it is just God showing me again and again that either my own mistakes and failures or just that my expectations are not what reality is. Mm -hmm. And just that shift again, you have to go through again and again and again. But I think that over the course of motherhood, it gets a lot, it gets a lot easier to accept that. Yeah. Tell me that story of, of a neurodivergent diagnosis. I mean, that's a process and I'm sure a lot goes into recognizing things, asking questions. I'm sure the internet is both helpful and hurtful uh, as you're beginning to to walk those waters. And I, we don't have to get into the specifics of things, but I, I'm more, I guess, curious of like, what has it done to your approach to motherhood? Well, it's been really interesting because it's been all very, like getting a diagnosis has been all very positive and affirming for, for Daniel and I and our, our children who are neurodivergent. And I think that part of what makes it so affirming is I realize, oh, I was parenting a child with special needs, mm. but I was treating myself as if I was a neuro, like a, a parent of only neurotypical children. And so it felt very difficult and seemed, am I just really bad at this? Because my <laughs> friends who like, they, they seem to be doing fine and I'm definitely not okay. And so realizing, oh, that's because my experience was not the same. Mm -hmm. I was actually doing something really difficult. I just didn't know what it was at the time. Um, So that's been very affirming to realize, oh, that that felt hard because it was hard. Mm. And and then just all the things clicking and coming together, because I think the most difficult part of this journey for me is the breakdown in communication between myself and my neurodivergent children, you know, not understanding certain behaviors or why is this happening? And so having some of those answers and those like puzzle pieces fall into place Mm -hmm. just makes communication and relationships so much easier because there's just more understanding where it's like, Hey, I know why you're doing that. And that it makes sense to me now. And now we have like a foundation to work from where of understanding and grace rather than confusion and frustration. And so um, that's like, it's been awesome getting those answers. And I just wish I'd kind of figured that out sooner. But looking Mm -hmm. back, I see how intuitively we were doing a lot of the things we would have done 
had we had the official diagnosis or known sooner. And so that's kind of interesting looking back at how the Holy Spirit was still leading Mm -hmm. us down this path in ways that I'm like, oh, I'm really glad we did that. And I'm really glad we did that. We didn't even know what was going on. Right. But just intuitively, this felt like the right thing to do with this child. Um, So that, yeah, that's been, it's been a cool process. And then the more I learn, I'm like, oh, maybe we are neurodivergent (laughs) as well. That sounds very familiar. Yeah. So it's just been really interesting. Yeah. I, um, so Tommy was recently diagnosed with ADHD as a 34 adult male, a 34 year old adult male. And he was like, this, is this like the thing now, like a bunch of millennials like fell through the cracks and, and as a result of becoming parents who are like, I'm trying to do 50 things at once and none of them are working out. I need to go talk to my doctor. But so he, he's on medication and he started this new pill and like two weeks into taking it. And who knows if it was psychosomatic or just like legitimately the medicines now in your system. He was like, I feel like I do one thing at a time now instead of trying to do 20 things at once. And, and I was like, so it's worth it. Like it was worth getting the diagnosis. And he said, yeah, because it just feels like I have a little more control. And I've been thinking about that a lot because it's like I, I've never felt like I wasn't in control, probably because my anxiety leads me to like over controlling. So that's that's my nice little cross to bear. And yours is this cross to bear of like you never really did feel like you were. And, and so you just kind of let all and and knowing that, knowing that about ourselves, knowing that I've got anxiety, knowing that he's got ADHD, we're able to be better people to our kids and to each other. And so it's like knowing is so helpful. Being open to the knowledge is so helpful. I can only imagine how how necessary that is with your children, because then it lets you, I guess the the greater point I'm trying to make is Tommy getting his diagnosis, which is not the same as a child, but still like the person that I'm closest to and that I spend the most time with, I can love him better in the ways that are most helpful. And so that's, of course, the experience of, of parenting a neurodivergent child. Like I can give you what you need. I can be gentle in the way that I need to be gentle. I can be firm in the way that I need to be firm. It only enhances. The knowledge is only, only helpful. How, how do you think, uh, I guess kind of the greater question I want to ask out of this is you've got these four unique children and there's no such, we've just talked about, you can't cookie cutter your way through motherhood by watching other people. You can't cookie cutter your way through parenting each individual kid. How, how do you and Daniel really honor your children's interests and, and honor your children's uniqueness to where, yeah, he's going to learn, she's going to learn, she's going to like, they're all going to learn so differently together. How do you honor that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's something that like we've grown in a lot over the years. But I think that what has sometimes held me back is this like fear factor mm. of like, especially when your child is very different from you and is interested in things maybe you're not interested in and excited about things you're not excited about. Um, there's this like fear both of disconnection from your child and also like what if they don't turn out how I expect them to, which newsflash, they won't, they won't, (laughs) they won't. And so I think that when you dive into an attitude of, of acceptance of your child, and that doesn't mean not disciplining, it doesn't mean not guiding, but accepting that God has wired them a certain way, that they're a unique human being and that their interests matter then when you model that for them in the way that you communicate with them, it's really beautiful seeing how they then offer that back. Mm. So for instance, my, my oldest child is really into gaming. I like, you could not pay me 
to play a video game. I hate them. I find them boring. Like nothing about them entices me. I did learn to play Lego Harry Potter with him as like a motherly sacrifice, but like it's hard. Um, But like I've tried to accept that this is one of his interests and within reason I can support this interest. And it's been so beautiful to see like in return he like tries to be interested in things I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. So he'll like read Jane Austen and make little jokes about like <laughs> Mr. Collins. And cause he knows I'm going to like that or like find Jane Austen memes that he thinks are funny. And so just seeing that like connection mm-hmm. where it's like, Hey, I've seen you model connecting with me. I'm going to connect with you. Um, mm-hmm. It's just really like beautiful and special. And so seeing that like, those things that are different or unexpected don't have to separate us from our children or take them away from us, but can be this opportunity to celebrate each other and yeah. to connect with each other and, and to show them that how however God has wired them together is exciting and matters and is something that you value. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that's been cool to see. So that's something we do try to do Uh, with four kids we have to put a limit on how many activities everybody can be in you know but um having everybody be at one catholic school has helped because most of the extracurriculars are in one place like on one campus yeah Yeah. that's been that's been awesome but yeah all of that is it's exciting to see your kids grow into the people that they're gonna become you like kind of give this hints of who they're going to be. And it's just really, really, it's really exciting. Yeah. It's cool to think that like you're watching their interests develop. That kid could lead them into a career someday or or just like, are there hobbies? Like the things that they like to do for Rose's 100th day of school, they had to wear a shirt or like, and I'm not crafty. So I just ordered on Amazon. I said, Rose, what kind of shirt do you want for the 100th day of school? I'm sure I can find one online. And she said, well, I like to color. So we found a shirt with crayons on it. And I was like, yeah, that's a thing about my kid that I know enough about her to where like all of her Christmas presents were pretty much art themed. And like she draws us little pictures and leaves us like art around the house. And we brought her piece of art to the Louvre in France and like held it up by the Mona Lisa to be like, look, you're painting hung in the Mona, you know, hung by the Mona Lisa. Like that's something that I've learned about her. And it's so cool to think this whole little tiny human I get to foster that. Like I get to, it's not, a, I have to, it's an, I get to. And, and having that approach, I think only really helps everybody. You mentioned your kids are all at the same Catholic school. You you'd shared this thing on Instagram not long ago about how sometimes it feels like there's just all these asks like, Oh, there's just this assumed, well, of course you'd want to create this craft or go to this party or do this thing. H- how do you and Daniel kind of hold boundaries in those regards? And especially like with a job and with four kids in, in school, like how do you make sure you do the things that are needed and you say no to the things that you need to say no to? Yeah, that's definitely like constant discernment. Daniel, I always crack up, just we'll text each other and be like, I got my 15th email from the school today. <laughs> you know, it's like 11 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's so many things going on in every single classroom. So we have four children yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, every teacher is emailing and there's so many. Oh, my gosh, it's just nuts. So we joke about wishing that there were like a different tier, like a tiered package <laughs> or schools where you can be like, I'm. we're just not a tier one family. We're not. <laughs> 
going to do wacky socks day and crazy hair day. We cannot handle this. It's too much for us. We've got too many kids and not enough organization. We're like a tier five family. We want you to like teach them the three R's and not lose them during yeah. the day so that when we come pick them up, they're still there. You yeah. know, this is like, this is what kind of family we are. And so we joke about that because it really, I don't know what, like when this shift happened, mm-hmm. but I don't think it was always like this. No, and it I definitely think we've wasn't. allowed, we've allowed the parents who are really excited about these special days. And if that, you know, it's you listening, God bless you. Like, That is not a bad thing, but I don't feel like it should determine how the rest of us should have to live. If we're just a tier five family, (laughs) I want a tier five package. So we just try to, you know, jump in when we have things together. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, we can bring the extra thing for the spaghetti luncheon or whatever. Yeah. But when it's, you know, a crazy week at work for Daniel and I, and this isn't a necessary thing. It's just a, hey, if you want to bring pumpkin bread for the pumpkin bread drive for teachers, we love you <laughs> teachers, but I'm not going to make pumpkin bread. Not sending the bread. <laughs> um, I, will make, I will send you a gift card yeah, instead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Last year, our school did this. And like on the one hand, I loved it. On the other hand, I was like, is this impersonal? Where for Christmas, they were just like, the amount of money that you would spend on a gift, just give it to us in cash. And we're going to split it all equally among the teachers. So we did that. We did. I still gave them like a little something because Rose wanted to give them a gift. But I was like, that was foolproof. And then this year for Catholic Schools Week, I think enough parents complained like a red shirt does nothing to help Catholic schools. And instead, on Sunday night, I had to run to three different stores to try to find a red shirt and five T because everybody else was looking for a red shirt. She ended up going to school in one of Tommy's red shirts that we just like bunched up like a dress and tied on the side. Look like Gaston now that I think about it. But like there was this, it was like Catholic Schools Week doesn't need to have eight different things. We'll send her in a t-shirt for the hundredth day of school because everybody's gonna be in it, but I'm gonna order it on Amazon for $13. Like I'm not gonna make it with a hot glue gun. I, I think that's a good point that you bring up though. If if that's your thing, great. If it's more of a, you know what, I don't know if that's the essential component where we're gonna put our time and energy, then that's that's good too. Like those two things can sit together. Um, we we end our we could keep going. My producer will get mad at me if we keep going though. Um, so people are just going to have to go read your Substack about all things Jane Austen and Catholic books and and all other wonderful things that you create. But we always end our conversations uh, with the same question, and it is, what do you want your kids to remember about you? Yeah, that's such a tough question. Um, but I feel like so I have great parents. And when I think about what I'm going to remember about them, it's their um, like attentiveness mm. to, to my brother and I, like it always felt like they were so glad that we were around and so interested in what we had to say. And so I hope that that's what my children remember too, is that like, I was attentive and interested in them happy that they were around enjoying them and I hope that's I hope that that's what they remember yeah that's a great answer I've seen it I think I think they will I uh your littlest and my oldest are I think like secret best friends in their heart like they Rose frequently asks when she's going to see you guys again I'm like well they're not in Waco anymore they're the other direction so when we go to Disney World someday we'll drive past and uh, we're, we're going to Mardi Gras so 
in uh, That's in New not Orleans. Too far. Mm-hmm. Oh God, you're brave. You're braver than we are. We're <laughs> potty training over Mardi Gras this year. Uh, I am getting air tags for every child. That's, that's a great idea. We have some very good friends. This is like side conversation that I'm sure he'll still keep in because they like the banter. Uh, we have some really good friends that they they were like, look, we we have a um, an apartment in the city. So you have a bathroom. That's always my thing. It's like, where are my kids going to go potty? Uh, and then we were just like, you know what? No, I actually have some time off. Tommy has the time off. We're going to potty train because we have to be potty trained by <laughs> pre-K three. And this is the three day weekend to do it. So we'll uh, we'll go to our crummy parades over here in Lake Charles. Haley, where can folks read your books and follow all of the awesome things that you're doing? Sure. So you can find my Substack is just HaleyStewart.substack.com because I got paralyzed with indecision about what I should call it. <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram as at Haley Carrots. And you can find both my books for children, which are the Sister Serafina Mysteries. They're about mouse nuns. They're so and my good. Books so good. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. And my books for grownups, The Grace of Enough and Jane Austen's Genius Guide to Life. Those are um, on Amazon to, or you know wherever you buy books. Yeah. We'll share the links and stuff. I have to tell you, my grandfather loves the Mouse Nun books. Well, like ask the girls, can I read the Mouse Nun books? Because he just he just thinks they're so great. So oh, you have awesome. A, well, when, a, when book three comes book out, three. I'll send him a copy. Just, just for my <laughs> Puerto Rican 85-year-old grandfather, you have to keep this series alive. <laughs> so Haley, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Katie. And I mentioned at the beginning uh, that I've watched Haley parent her kids. A couple of years ago, uh, she and her husband were driving from Waco to, I I think they were headed to Florida to to see family. And so Lake Charles is kind of on that route, kind of, you know, they'd kind of gone out of their way and they were staying in a town about 10, 15 minutes away. um, And so they came over to our house for chili. And so here come her four kids and here are my two kids. And so we've got six kids between us and they're running around in the backyard and they're playing and they're having a great time in the playroom. And we're all just kind of sitting there hanging out, just chatting and catching up and, you know, having just eaten this delicious meal. And there was this really awesome moment. I don't even know if Haley remembers it, but I remember this really awesome moment where one of her daughters came over and she had this like bubble wand thing my kids are obsessed with bubbles and so we've just got bubbles like all over the yard she comes up to us with this bubble wand thing and there were no bubbles anymore in the container and her daughter looked at her and said mom I bet we could make bubbles if we had uh, some dish soap and some water and and Haley said yeah I bet you could why don't you ask Miss Katie and so I said actually I've got more bubble solution and her daughter said well I'd, I'd prefer to try to mix it up myself if you don't mind and it was just this sweet moment of like Haley didn't say go find something else to play with She encouraged her daughter's curiosity. She encouraged her daughter to ask. She encouraged her daughter in that moment to be creative. And it was such a cool thing to witness. When you get to watch another person mother in a really beautiful way, you invite them onto a podcast so you can ask them about it. That's what this show is trying to do. I don't know if you've kind of caught on to it, but this is just me basically talking to people I really admire, people who have amazing stories, people who have insights into the normal everyday way that we can live our motherhood to the full. When OSV asked me, okay, what kind of show would you want to do? And I said, this, this is the show I want to do. They said, great, let's do it. And it's been a real privilege and a real honor to get to have these conversations. And we've got so many amazing conversations coming in the future. Conversations with single moms, conversations with more religious sisters who mother spiritually, conversations with adopted moms, uh, conversations with adoptive moms, conversations with women who just approach motherhood in such a way. But I think their stories are worth sharing. 
If you've really enjoyed this show, and I've gotten some great feedback from people who have, we'd be really grateful if you give it a follow. Wherever you listen to your podcasts, give it a follow. Put it into your RSS feed lineup so that you never miss a show on the first and third Monday of the month. And then, you know, I'd be really grateful. I'm, I'm making a personal plea here. Go give it a review. If you like the show, we'd love to hear it. If you don't like the show, I don't know, maybe keep it to yourself. I'm saying that because I, I have an ego. I think we all do. But if you don't like it, maybe give us some feedback about why or what conversations you'd like to hear. But if you like it, we'd be super grateful for a review and for you to share it with other people so that other folks can join us in this conversation where we're, we're trying to dig into the beauty and the joy and then the nitty grittiness of motherhood and, and what it means and what it looks like and how we can live life. This is always kind of the end of the episode, right? How we can live life to the full like a mother. We're so grateful that you joined us today. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a whole lot more. Thanks for being with us today. This has been a production of OSV Podcasts. To learn more, visit osvpodcasts.com.